Yeah, what's up, Ashley? He's into glitter. Yeah. I'm into, I'm 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 into glitter. He's into glitters. Oh, I'm into glitter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I have been waiting so long for this episode. You've been waiting since day one, so that I could just say the most amazing catchphrase I have ever heard a band ever utter. Use into glitter. Use into glitter. I'm into glitter. I yeah. am into glitter. I am into glitter, though. That's that's yeah. genuinely a true statement. Both the movie. And in Twisted Sisters kind of glitter way. Oh, I've never seen glitter. I haven't either, but I'm still into it. <laughs> Just as a concept? As a concept. <laughs> it's a concept album, really. As something that was still part of my childhood, even though it wasn't part of my childhood. It existed within your childhood. Exactly. Fair exactly. enough. All right. Well, welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> are you into glitter? Are you into glitter? We are your weekly podca- <laughs> podcast into glitter, giving you some... Hot tales of hot gas and stories from the world of metal this month. Yeah, because it's metal mayhem. Metal mayhem, metal mayhem. And we're your hosts, I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we are both into glitter. Very much. Yeah, I've got glitter eyeshadow on just for the occasion. Oh, that's nice. I know, I did it. I did it. <laughs> yeah, so you may or may not know that uh, Twisted Sister, very into glitter. Very. Yes. They were Long Island Glitter Boys. They were, they were, uh, I would say, Tri-State Glitter Boys. Oh, yeah? The Tri-State Glitter Boys. Good for them. Because they're kind of from all over. Like, some of them from Long Island. Some, I think, one was from Staten Island. So, yeah. I feel like somebody was from Queens. I don't know. I'm going to have to read. So, I'll, I'll relearn it when I read all my notes to you. So, that would be, like, multi-borough. Yeah. But they were really big in the Tri-State area. <laughs> Again, these are all things. I'm giving you spoilers already. Yeah, we're... We're getting way too ahead of ourselves. Way too ahead of way ourselves. Way too into the glitter right now. Yes. We uh, we are the special episode. We have been wanting to do this one since day one, ever since you saw one of my sources yeah. for tonight's episode. The is- amazing documentary that was on Netflix. But I'll, I'll let you introduce it when you go through your sources. Yes, I can. Yeah, we we made a whole big thing of it. You know, it's not just glitter. It's also about twisted teas. Oh God, Ripperoni. Yeah, <laughs> for our fucking drink tonight. Hey, hold on. <laughs> you did a very good job trying to make gold out of a pile of shit. Right. So, like, I would say I got to bronze. Yeah. Like good bronze though, not even like shitty bronze. Yeah. Some people say you can't put glitter on a pile of shit and make it into a party. But guess what? We did. We did it. I think we did it. <laughs> We definitely put glitter on a pile of shit. Yeah. So like we drinkable took- glitter. <laughs> so we took a tall boy of twisted tea. God, it was way too tall. Why are they so tall? Why are t- why are twisted tea tall boys so fucking tall? Like who drinks that much twisted tea and doesn't throw up? Yeah. Anyone who is over the age of twenty five, at least. Oh yeah. Who? Who? Nobody. Who? who? Nobody. Nobody. So we took the tall boy of twisted tea. Mm-hmm. We had to do, we so we decided we were going to make a twisted tea cocktail because neither one of us can actually drink twisted tea straight. Right. Well, and it's like yeah, we could have like I don't know. It just felt kind of fun to get twisted tea for yeah. tonight's episode, and it was too perfect. It, right. It was just like all right, but we were like yeah, you're right. We couldn't drink twisted we tea. We can't. There's no way. So yesterday when we were slightly tipsy, we were like, why don't we just make a cocktail out of it? So yeah. <laughs> we looked up all these cocktails, decided to try one out, 
yeah. kind of throw our own thing into it. Because TBH, I have enough stuff to make co- cocktails, so... We're adults. We yeah. have cocktail kits. Yeah. And shit. I have a mixology kit. I am trying to get better at it. So, what did we... The first round, we did twisted tea with a little bit of orange juice. Mm-hmm. Some... A little bit of bourbon. Some bullet bourbon and a sprig of rosemary. Yeah. And mixed that all together. And we were like, no. Okay, but no. But we need like way more lemon. Oust the orange juice. Yeah. Throw some bitters in there. Yep. See what happens. So we did the second round like that. And it came out much better. Right. Oh, and also more bourbon. And more bourbon. Turns out. Bourbon? The only way to fix twisted tea is to add good alcohol to (laughs) it. Is to add more bourbon. Yeah. So that's what we did. And guess what? Came out pretty decent. Yeah, pretty decent. As long as you put enough lemon and enough bitters and enough bourbon in there, <laughs> it's pretty good. Which, honestly, I think that's already an old-fashioned. Pretty much. It's an old-fashioned without the simple syrup. Instead of simple syrup, it's I use twisted tea. <laughs> it's basically trailer park old-fashioned. Old-fashioned trailer park. Old-fashioned, Old-fashioned. Indeed. But yeah, so we did that. And we drank one each. And you know what? I'm finishing it right now. Oh, wow. You've been... I I have been nursing it, but I'm finishing it. That's way worse than I thought it was. (laughs) Done. She did it. I did it. It just You just witnessed it here, guys. She did it. And now we're back to our beers and ciders, because like, nah, we're good. We don't need more. We don't need any more of that. Dumped dumped, like way too much out. Because there's way too much in a tall boy I think we dumped out about two thirds of that tall boy. Oh, easily. Easily. Yeah. Well, well, we did it and we were successful. We were. And and it was a special occasion and we've always considered making a cocktail for the show. So now we've done it and we'll never do it again. Yeah. Well, I guess with that, we've gotten our grievances out of the air. Mm-hmm. Or maybe grievances. I don't know. Might as well jump into the story that is Twisted fucking sister. Yes, please. All I right. want to know all about D. Snyder and how I want to be his best friend. Right. So, my sources, as I said, I would cite later or earlier. Now is later. <laughs> Look, I did have a couple shots of bourbon, guys, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so first, I watched the documentary, We Are Twisted Fucking Sister. I was able to get it on Amazon Prime, which we mooch off of a friend, because mm-hmm. I will not pay Amazon anything. Mm-hmm. So... You can still see it there if you want to watch it. It is actually a great documentary. It is two hours. It probably could have been a little shorter, or if it was going to be that long, they could have put in a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But it was still really good. Very interesting watch. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So highly suggest that. And the unfortunate thing is, though, it only covers, like, the first... I would say the first half of the band's legacy. It only covers the first ten years. But it covers like the first, like it covers two thirds of their story, really. Because mm-hmm. Twisted Sister is another one of those bands where their actual famous years are much shorter than you think they are. Yeah, they like they didn't have a whole lot of time where they were like on top of the charts or anything. Precisely. But D. Snyder has done so much since then. Oh yeah. And honestly, I, I have no fucking clue what the other guys have done. But Dee Snyder himself has had such a career after Twisted Sister, but also often pays homage to Twisted Sister and it does not shy away from those years. Right. Which is interesting. And I'll get into all that. Okay. 
But so since it only covers the first chunk of years, I had to do a lot of digging around. I was getting a lot of interviews, um, a couple articles, and I found a really good one on Guitar World and it's Twisted Sisters Unpublished History. Mm-hmm. It still only goes to about like 2006. Honestly, it's it doesn't go too crazy different after 2006. Yeah. Just a couple things. But um, yeah, I would highly suggest reading that because that's also a very interesting read. Mm-hmm. So those were my main sources that I would like to shout out there. So thank you. Everyone loves an underdog story. We want to cheer on those who have put in the time and work to become successful in their craft. Many a time we have told stories of artists who are total workhorses and of course we commend them for it. For anyone who knows anything about rock and metal, Twisted Sister is a household name. A band that represents rebellion and annoying the olds with loud rock music. And a whole lot of hair. So much hair. Mm. It's really pretty. And a lot of makeup too. So much glitter. So much. Their music videos receive heavy airplay on MTV, and surprisingly, many were not turned away by the caked-on makeup or tight spandex. In fact, the glittery glam look signaled to those watching that this band was here to do its own thing and make your parents uncomfortable, so the youths ate it up. But that was, of course, like while they were on TV. Before then, it did not do them a lot of favors. No. No. But what many may not realize while watching We're Not Gonna Take It is that This band worked for nearly a decade to get themselves a record deal. Coming up in a time where shock rockers like Alice Cooper and Kiss were being worshipped should have made Twisted Sister a shoe-in, but instead they were seen as a gimmick and record label after record label pushed them aside for something more mainstream. Mm -hmm. So you'd think when the day finally came for them and they were in the big leagues that they would be unstoppable, right? Well, fame can be a fickle mistress, and the stresses of becoming one of the biggest rock acts can be a heavy weight to carry. On the outside, this may look like a story of the usual struggles and downfalls, but you would be mistaken, because not only is Twisted Sister a unique act on stage, they have a unique story to back it up. Hmm. Picture it. New York City, 1952. (laughs) The French Seagull family just welcomed their youngest son, John. He grew up in a politically active family who encouraged his love for music, especially blues bands like Albert King and the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Around age 10, he picked up his first guitar and never looked back. As a teen, he was growing up in hippie culture and became very involved in anti-Vietnam War movements and was a civil rights activist. Hmm. He saw the bullshit happening around him and he wanted to make a difference. But, like we've discussed many a time, in fact, I'm sick of talking about it, by the end of the 60s, the summer of love came to an end and so did all the good vibes of peace and love. Mm -hmm. Like pretty much everyone else, John left the hippie scene disillusioned and craving something new and exciting. Enter glam rock. I was going to say disco? (laughs) Close. (laughs) So close. Close, but also not. Yeah. So weird. John was introduced to David Bowie and was immediately taken with the look and showmanship of this otherworldly man. As we all were. As we all are. Mm. After catching a show by the New York Dolls, showcasing their glam, punk, rock look for all to see, he knew he wanted to start a band. He wanted to do what they were doing, but sound better. His words, (laughs) not mine. (laughs) So out came the ads, looking for people to play music with. And of course, this is where the classic, using the glitter, hey, 
using the glitter makes its grand <laughs> appearance. John was contacted by drummer Mel Starr to join up a glitter rock band called Silver Star. Side reference, Mel's brother was Al Anderson, guitarist for Bob Marley and the Whalers. Oh, I know. That's an interesting cross reference. Mm. Hmm. Some of my research said apparently Mel liked to like get really drunk or high and really just talk about all the time. I'm like, my brother plays for Bob Marley and the Whalers. It's kind of like when I get drunk and I'm like, my high school Spanish teacher, her brother's in Monster Magnet. <laughs> Everybody's got their claim <laughs> to fame, okay? The Silver Stars were referred to as the New Jersey version of the New York Dolls, which I don't know what you would call that, the New Jersey Barbies? <laughs> New Jersey Brats. Oh, no. <laughs> the New Jersey Monster High. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's yeah. it. They would dress in women's clothing and either grow their hair out long or wear wigs while sporting fabulous makeup. They were performing covers of rock classics and gaining popularity in local venues. But John wasn't really digging the name Silver Stars and wanted mm-hmm. something, like, a bit catchier. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Right, like you're kind of like Silver Stars, okay? It sounds like a, a, like David Bowie cover band in oh like Hoboken, God. New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, eventually they came up with Twisted Sister, and it stuck. Which but, is really the best name, honestly. Really good. Yeah, good for them. A side note: I don't bring this up in my notes, so I'll bring it up now. When they sometimes will perform without makeup or whatever, they just called themselves Bent Brother. <laughs> Yeah, That's really bad, but also brilliant. I know. But that wasn't the only name change. Soon the basic John French Seagal would be renamed J.J. French. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, now I know who you're talking about. You know who I'm talking about. (laughs) By 73-74, Twisted Sister would pick up a slew of gigs around New York City and the surrounding areas. They had a residency at the Mad Hatter in Long Island, New York where they would play six nights a week all summer. By the end of 1974, they had played probably around a thousand shows, and JJ was kind of growing out of this scene. He was ready for something more. Mm -hmm. But that would have to wait. There were some differences in the band. Already? Oh, yeah. So first of all, everyone except JJ was an alcoholic. (laughs) Okay, I know how that goes. I know. As a child of the 60s, he had his fill of booze and drugs. So, like, he wasn't really He's into over it. it. Exactly. He's feeling like a dad. Oh, my God. In his own band. Dad band. Band dad. <laughs> and sometimes things could get a little hairy. There could be some conflicts, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe some drunken brawls. Perhaps some disagreements. Mm-hmm. By Labor Day weekend, 1975. Nearly the entire nearly the entire original lineup had left Twisted Sister for one reason or another. Mostly just disagreements and alcoholism. Yeah, I mean, you get a band of dads going. You're going <laughs> to argue about who's wearing the New Balances, oh who's wearing the, the calf length socks, oh who's going to mow the lawn. It's you know, just, it's so much. So many it's dads. So, so many dads. So many disagreements. Yeah. Dad agreements or dad disagreements as they were. Disadadments. Oh, disadadments. I like that. JJ was still determined to go somewhere with Twisted Sister. And that meant he had to build the band back up almost like piece by piece. Mm -hmm. 
there would be a rotating cast of musicians for each position, but eventually the missing pieces would be found, starting first with Eddie Ojeda. Eddie was born and raised in New York City, and JJ was already aware of him and his musicianship as the two went to the same high school and became friends. Before being asked to join Twisted Sister, he was a member of a band called SPX, recorded a few singles but hadn't really gone anywhere this sounds like a discount version of hot topic oh my god SPX. That's, that's at like the far end of the mall next to like the asian store for white people oh yeah but that's probably like because it's like um sounds like ripoff of tsx yeah yeah it yeah. does yeah that's it <laughs> he needs <laughs> or package but what was it pocket, pocket change, change exchange, exchange. His friend needed a second guitarist, and at least Twisted Sister was gaining a solid live performance following, so it was easy for Eddie to say, you know what, like, I'm going to go over here now, thanks. I'm glad he kept the name. It was a good name. Eddie Ojeda? No, Twisted Sister. Oh, Twisted Sister. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's his name, his legit birth name is good, too. <laughs> I mean, Eddie but... didn't change his name, so <laughs> it's a good thing he kept good it. Good thing he kept it, yes. The former bassist... Kenneth Harrison Neal stayed on with um, JJ. That from... is a, that name is a mouthful. Kenneth Harrison Neal. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, yeah. So he stayed on from the original lineup. Mm-hmm. So, and then they ended up finding a drummer through an ad. So the lineup felt complete enough. They had JJ and Eddie splitting singing duties, and they carried on. And though they were still doing okay, their manager kind of felt like. You know, if you want to go to the next level, you got to drop the cover songs and you need a really charismatic lead singer mm-hmm. because all the credit in the world to JJ and Eddie, but like they were not lead singers. Yeah. They and that's fine. They didn't have the charisma. They didn't have the charisma. Mm. Gotta have that charisma. You need it. While Twisted Sister was working on some kind of reinvention, there was another East Coast rock band called Peacock that was working the circuits. <laughs> Of course, yeah, it was. Peacock's always working the circuits. Oh, Peacock, now what's up? It's getting in all them circuits, mm. all them outlets. It's plugging them. Or like peacocks are the fucking worst, by the way. Peacocks are assholes. Like the animal, legit. Yeah, they're fucking assholes. Oh yeah, no, like they are actually super dangerous. Do not think you can just walk up to a peacock. They also have a very, I'd say, jarring, uh, call. Oh, it's, yeah. it's not fun Isn't to it like, listen to. Ah! It's basically screaming at you. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, ah! <laughs> I think that's what I would do when I lived in Brooklyn. I would be very drunk and just run through the streets. I'm a peacock. peacock ah! <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I can I can mentally picture that. It, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's exactly what you think it is. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so the lead singer of Peacock, Daniel. He was just kind of there for the steady paycheck. He felt Peacock was a lesser band, but they got gigs, which meant he could put food on his table while doing something he loved. Okay, if you are in a band called Peacock, you could you can't just half-ass it. Right. Peacocks are the showiest motherfuckers in the animal kingdom. Right. So if you're just showing up for the paycheck, get the fuck out. But get also, the fuck out of Peacock. I mean, that's true. But also, I think... It was easy for Daniel to, quote unquote, phone it in for the paycheck, but still make it a rad fucking performance. Because he had the charisma. There you go. Well, shit. There you go. Well, I underestimated you, Daniel. I am so sorry. (laughs) 
Daniel was born in Astoria, Queens in 1955 and raised on Long Island. Long Island. Oh, because now I know who Dan. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Daniel. Keep going. Keep going. Nobody knows what I'm saying. (laughs) He felt it was a truly suburban wasteland and rebelled as much as he could with loud music and long hair. Hell yeah, he did. Hell yeah, he did. He didn't have many friends and felt like a real outcast. Oh, I'll be your friend. I know. I'd be his friend. Theater and chorus were his outlets. He was praised by teachers for his beautiful singing voice and would perform at all county choir concerts regularly. That's adorable. Which I, yo, I know that pressure. I used to run the all county circuits too back in middle school. Did you go to NISMA? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Once. (laughs) Only once. once. Only the one time. Despite his talents though. Many dismissed him as a punk kid who could never really amount to anything. And this left Daniel with feelings of rage and a need to prove himself that would push him for the rest of his life. Yep. Yeah. He knew performing in a band would be his best outlet. Joining bands here and there, and as I mentioned, ultimately joining Peacock in the early 70s. He had tried to start a band called Harlequin, but it ultimately didn't work out. What he needed was to join an already established band mm-hmm. because he's coming in saying, all right, we got to do this. We got to do that. But he's already grabbed these kids who don't give a fuck. And everybody else is like, I don't want to. You do it. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> and so, he's like, but guys, come on. Like, I can phone it in and still make a really fucking awesome performance. You guys are just phoning it in. And sounding like shit. And sound like shit. So. Yeah. So he needed to find a band that was already there. Mm-hmm. And that's when Daniel and Twisted Sister fatefully crossed paths. He auditioned for the spot of lead singer and it just clicked. It did help that like JJ, he didn't drink or do drugs and had the same workhorse mentality to keep the rest of the guys moving. And while he never got the official, you know, hey, you're in from the other guys, it really wasn't necessary. What was necessary was a bit of a name change. Because mm-hmm. Daniel, or even Dan, wasn't it. Just like you said, it's like, if you're going to be the lead singer... You gotta you, have it. You gotta have it. At the suggestion of JJ, he would from now on be known as D. D. Snyder. They're really into the, like, one-letter <laughs> names. But JJ is spelled out, J-A-Y, J-A-Y, and D is and spelled out. D is out spelled with two E's. <laughs> So while they are into the one letter, they want to spell the one letter out. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Just that's so you know. <laughs> this would not be the final lineup, though. In 1978, their bassist, Kenny, would decide to go to rehab to deal with his alcoholism. Good. You know what? The rehab showed up real early. Real early. <laughs> He's like, I need to get my shit together. Good for him. Right? And fortunately, he came out successfully sober fuck right and you know what having two established bandmates that are already drug and alcohol free probably helped him a whole lot it would have unfortunately he also came out as a born again christian and decided that twisted sister was wrong and satanic so he left the band oh no he was like tipper jr yeah (sighs) before tipper was tipper you had kenny I'm surprised he didn't come out when they did the PMRC hearings and was like, this yeah, guy proud. is Satan. He is Satan. Wow. Uh, you know what? Fine. Hope you found happiness in Jesus Christ. Sure. 
Look what you could have had. Look what you could have had. You could have had two bandmates who were sober. <laughs> but no, you thought they were Satan. Fine. Isn't that funny how that works out? Isn't it? <laughs> Hail Satan. Hail Satan. However, with his departure, they gained a solid bassist with Mark Mendoza, also a native to Long Island. He grew up listening and playing rock music and eventually would join a band called The Dictators. Eventually, the band would dissolve, which would lead him to become a roadie for Twisted Sister. Oh. So after Kenny left, they asked Mark to give it a go because they needed that spot filled ASAP. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just been that way ever since. Mark cool. is the bassist. That's like... Every roadie's dream. Yeah. He had the roadie dream. Yeah. He fucking pulled it off. Out of every position, the band seemed to see a lot of drummers come and go. You know, kind of like- It seems to be a theme. It's like Spinal Tap or something. (laughs) (laughs) At least nobody died in a gardening accident. Thank goodness. But by 76, they finally hit some stability with Tony Petray, who would be the one to guide Twisted Sister into heavier sounds that they would become- much more well known for. Mm-hmm. Here they were, Twisted Sister, still glamming out in makeup and woman's clothes, playing harder than ever before. All the glitter, all the clothes, all Everything. the metal. It's all there. All over. It's just everywhere. God, that sounds wonderful. Fucking dripping in it. I just that's. I want to just. I want them to sweat glitter onto me. This just reminds me of like 2000, 1999, 2000 when you get those like glitter sticks from Bath, Bath and Body Works and you just. Rub <laughs> your entire body up and down with a fucking glitter stick, and you just shine for days. Like you, you just glob it all up into your hair. Oh, the goop that yeah. you put the pink and the blue goop with the glitter in it. You just and it just slopped your on your hair, so crusty, it was just stiff. Oh, but then again, we just really like stiff hair back in two thousand. We loved so. we loved a nice stiff hairdo. <laughs> That was it, though. Love some good stiffies. Mm-hmm. Dee was falling right into place, and he began to make himself truly the front man of the band, wanting them to play louder and more outrageous, and also complaining that their original music was weak sauce. Mm-hmm. Upon hearing his complaints, JJ and the rest of the band called him out, asking, are you a writer? And when Dee said he was, they're like, <laughs> all right, what have you written? And he said, nothing. So... <laughs> And that they basically, at least he was honest okay? right he's like nothing, nothing. <laughs> so at that they basically told him shut up until you write something then yeah d of course needing to prove himself as always went home and furiously wrote all night he came back to the band and presented them with what he wrote he said it wasn't bad but also brushed it off his attempt as nothing really of note mm-hmm. like all right, cute. He tried something just to show us he could. Cool. Like All when right. I tried to write lyrics in eighth grade and it was terrible. And people were like, you know what? But like you tried. That's cute. That's but good my friends were like, no, that's really good. I mean, it actually might have been really good. You could just also have imposter syndrome. It's it was not good. <laughs> I can guarantee you not good. Look, our standards in high school were a lot different than they at are that now. point. I was really looking up to Nirvana, mm-hmm. Bush, mm-hmm. Silverchair and Hanson. So, um. I need to sit the fuck down. All right. My eighth grade self can sit the fuck down. But you know what? We're going to hang it on the fridge so everybody can see it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, now they've only given him more fuel, though. And from there, D was movi- motivated to outdo JJ in songwriting. It was all for the better, though. Their songs and their shows were getting tighter. 
Twisted Sister poured out energy into the crowd and were becoming a must-have for clubs in this area. Unfortunately. Oh, no. So the one thing I learned that disappointed me a little about the band is how hard they jumped on the Disco Sucks bandwagon. Oh, guys, no, you can't. You can't do that. Hold on tight. They began to make an entire set just around this sentiment. The guys felt it was kind of a black and white scenario. You know, it's like, oh, it's like John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever versus like basic jeans and t-shirts kinds of dudes. You can't be both. It's one or the other. But everything your look was based on is kind of based on disco. And also your sound is a bit disco. And like you were really leaning on heavy, funky beats and like metal and rock and roll. Can we also talk about you're wearing women's clothes. Come on. So you're wearing women's clothes. Which is great. A whole lot of glitter. So like maybe shut the fuck up. (sighs) Since they were expected to play such long sets, they needed to find ways to kill time. So they started spreading out disco records for D to smash with a sledgehammer on stage. The crowds went wild for it. This was the late 70s, and they were here for that disco versus rock. Rock is winning right now sentiment. I mean, that's great, but, like, if it wasn't for disco, then your look wouldn't have existed, and, like, people wouldn't have accepted you the way that you were dressed, and, like, the long hair, and, you know, you know. But then also, it's funny, too, is that if disco didn't exist, and they didn't hate disco, and do the stuff to destroy disco, they might not have garnered the crowds that they ended up gathering. It's weird. Anyway, what the hell? It's kind of like a superhero can't exist without its arch enemy because then it wouldn't be a superhero. They wouldn't be saving anybody from anything. Precisely. But, <sighs> you know, they didn't realize initially that they might be going a little too far. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they made a mannequin in the image of Barry White. And they would hang it from the stage and beat it down. Oh wait, no! Wait, wait. <laughs> please hold. What? Yeah, please hold. To them, it was beating the symbol of disco. I get what you thought it was. <laughs> but when they performed this at a venue in upstate New York, I think it might have been Poughkeepsie. I'm not 100% sure. Uh huh. The owner came up to them after the show and basically said, Hey, anyone who wants to hang an N word is good in my book. Disgusted. They immediately cooled it on that and never took out another mannequin. I am so conflicted in so many ways. They were genuinely just these dumb 20-year-olds who were like, oh, you know what would be funny is if we hung up a Barry White lookalike mannequin and beat it and like, ha, disco, we're beating up disco. And then like, it basically took a racist piece of shit to walk up to me like, yeah, fuck N-words, am I right? And they're like, you know what? Oh, fuck. Leave it to Poughkeepsie. <laughs> Poughkeepsie. Leave it to Poughkeepsie. Thanks, Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. <laughs> no, no, it's Poughkeepsie. You're right, it's Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. <laughs> that hard p. But wow. Yeah. I was like, hold on, you need to let me get through this. I'm just There's like, a lot here. I'm just like picturing like Twisted Sister on stage with this dude being like, yeah, I get it. Fucking racist talk, right? And they're just like, oh, God. Oh, no. What have we done? <laughs> it is really funny. No, I guess not funny, but like there is a sense of like, oh, OK, they get it now. Because when you watch them talk about it in the documentary, especially D and JJ, they're like, we didn't know and could not fucking believe 
that's what people thought and we're really ashamed of ourselves later. I mean, I guess it's a different time. But also, you, you didn't see that? Really? I guess because you're from, too. But also, like, I guess you're young. You're from New York. Yeah, you're you are from a the white city. man. You don't really see that ever. Right. Basically. Yeah. So I get it. That's not what you're going to see when you actually do something like this. It takes a Poughkeepsie redneck <laughs> to be like, yo, this racist shit. Top marks in my book. And then you're like, oh, fuck. What have we done? Ladies and gentlemen, Poughkeepsie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So Do that's... you need to go there? No, no, you don't. Not really. No. So, yeah. <laughs> Has it changed much since? No. No, oh, it hasn't. Oh, yeah. No. Anyway. Not all shows ended in the meeting of racist pieces of trash. Mm -hmm. They did develop a loyal fan base of good-hearted metal types who would follow them from show to show all week long. Some of them would be like, yeah, I saw the show in New Jersey last night. Now I'm going to go drive to, like, you know, Long Island and check it out. Going to Bridgeport, Connecticut. I mean, honestly, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I think they were. I'm not even lying. (laughs) Not only that. But it's where 21-year-old D would meet 15-year-old Suzette, who used a fake ID to get into their show. Wait, how old was he? 21. This is like flashbacks to Jeff Hanneman from Slayer. He was like 19, and he oh, met yeah. uh, his wife when she was 15, and he was 19. And yeah. it's like, Ew. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of this meeting. But I does say she used a fake ID to get in the show. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She immediately said she was 15. Maybe she lied. Who knows? And also, like, back then, if you really look at pictures, like, man, everyone wanted to look way older than they were. Right? Like, it's really weird. Especially in the 80s and 90s, like, the thing was to look much older than you actually were. Yeah. And the and 70s, now- like, women from the 70s, if you look at them now, they look younger than they did yes. in the 70s. You're like, this doesn't make sense. Wait, hold on. Uh, My brain hurts. So I don't know the details behind it, so I'm gonna just not judge this, I guess. Gonna, I'm gonna call a mulligan. Even <sighs> though it, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. Well, because, so he was immediately slipped. He was just immediately smitten and they clicked right off the bat. And it would only be a matter of time, about three or four years later, the two would marry and they've been together ever since. Right. Which is why I'm kind of giving it a pass. Right? Even though I don't love it. I don't love it, but also it was consensual, obviously. Obviously. They were both very much in love and they have been together ever fucking since. And also, she looks fucking amazing right now. Oh, yeah. No, they are like a fucking power couple. Absolutely. Good for you two. You both have fabulous hair. Yes. (laughs) Also, you have made beautiful children, even if they are kind of insufferable, but that's fine. Aren't most musicians' kids insufferable? Yes. Mm. Yes, they are. Suzette would not only be the love of Dee's life, but also a crucial style support for Twisted Sister. Mm -hmm. As she would eventually become a costume designer herself, she brought a better sense of style and drama to their look. And And he basically looked like a cartoonish version of his wife when Twisted Sister became (laughs) really popular. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You're like, are you teasing your wife? (laughs) Or is this an accident? I don't know. It all started because she was sick of Dee wearing her makeup and clothes and ruining them. He would just take take her stuff, take Mm -hmm. it to a show, and she's like, what the fuck? Where's my cover up? Because boys, they ruin everything. 
Even your makeup. Even your makeup. The fuck? And your dresses. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Boys, looking at you. 1978 was turning out to be a big year for the sister boys. They decided that on Halloween that year, they would host a massive concert at the Palladium in New York City and invite all the record labels. And the show was a huge success. They sold out in no time. The energy was high and palpable. It was like, shit, man, this is the fucking show of the year. And unfortunately, that's where the success ends. What? Despite how amazing they were doing, they walked away with no record deal. What? I know. At this point, Twisted Sister was not just driven by the fact that they loved and believed in what they did, but now, much like D in life, they needed to fucking prove themselves. Wow. So it's kind of like, hey, thanks for all the free booze. Show is great. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> like these fuckers Bye. just came to the show and were like, this was a show. Clearly Cut. people love you. Bye. <laughs> You have a dedicated fan base. We can make a lot of money off this. Bye. Bye. (laughs) So Long Island has a show at Adventureland Park every year, and the performance held by Twisted Sister was again sold out. Mm -hmm. The roads leading people to the park had to be closed down due to massive traffic jams. I. It's like that Slayer concert from last week. One where it's like they oversold and there's just people oh. everywhere. And people just starting fights, breaking windows, throwing glass. Yeah. There were, it wasn't starting so much. Starting mosh pits. It wasn't so much like fights. It was just like this high energy performance. And it like just in the end, there was so much damage done that the band was asked to never come back again. <laughs> I mean, if that's not a sign, it's a sign of success for a band. Like if if a band in the 80s or 70s or whatever, was asked to not come back from a venue, not go back to a venue. Right. That means you need to sign them, and you need to sign them now. Right, because it's not even necessarily because of a violent whatnot. It's because people were just fucking losing it. Yeah. They were like, fuck yeah, I love this. This is so much fun, I'm going to destroy everything. Because <laughs> that's what I do when I'm having fun. I destroy things? I'm drunk. Fuck this door. Where did you even get that door? We're outside. I, I know. It just showed up. <laughs> fucking told me I'm a fucking gay, so I punched it. <laughs> told me I'm a gay. Well, all right, I'm offended. Yeah. <laughs> Producer Eddie Kramer, known for his work with Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, happened to catch their act and was quite impressed. He wanted to get them a production deal, but it wasn't going to happen. However, he did have a session with them where they would record the songs I'll Never Grow Up Now and Under the Blade. Okay. And yet the singles didn't really garner any attention over here. Under the Blade is the one that they got in trouble for for the PMRC. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, it's about killing somebody. It's like, no, it's about my bandmate going in for surgery and he's scared about it. You know, and Dee's like, I'll write a song for you, Mark. Don't worry. Don't worry. I got you. All right. It's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) But now let me get called in for this Senate hearing about how satanic I am. We'll get to that. Yeah. Kind of. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, we've actually we've been to that. We have been there. We have done it. We have the T-shirts, but we will we'll get to that part in a bit. 
we don't have any t-shirts. Should we make t-shirts that said, I've been to the PMRC and all I got was this lousy t-shirt? <laughs> I went to the PMRC hearings and all I got was this like, fucking t-shirt. And then put like the explicit logo and, over. No, I went to the PMRC hearings and all I got was fucking traumatized. There we go. True. Look, it was fairly obvious that their look was a big turnoff to many, which like I've got a lot of issues with, least of all because... Twisted Sister genuinely rocks. Who gives a shit what they look like? Yeah. They came on stage, no fucks given, throwing all the aggression they could out to provoke the audience, which they did with ease. Mm-hmm. D would find any reason to shout abuse at the concert goers. Which fucking kills me because this is a 100% sober dude who is also quite Christian. Mm-hmm. But he's like, if he sees you... Standing stone-faced in the back, he's going to point you out and have the audience boo you. And if you dared to heckle them, he would call you on stage and you would find yourself surrounded by big dudes standing at 6'5 plus, thank you, high heels, Mm -hmm. unafraid of anything you had to say. I mean, D was a tall guy anyway. He also had the hair and the All of them were at least six feet without the heels. Yeah. So. They're pretty much towering over you and they can still kick your ass. A band like this was a rare find, but record labels were not willing to take a chance. Atlantic Record execs famously refused to hear anything about the band from their employees, but to their fans, Twisted Sister was a representation of misfits and allowed the outcasts to gather in celebration. Mm -hmm. The fans of this band are wild and dedicated. I mean, like I said, they will see them many times in one week and travel all around the area just to see them. Mm Mm-hmm. And Twisted Sister was grateful for to that, but to outsiders, you might think they have a weird way of showing it. Dee would shout their praises at them during shows, referring to them as the sick motherfucking friends of Twisted Sister. Yeah, that's the name of their fan bait, their their fan club or right. something. Yeah, eventually it would be just shortened to sick motherfuckers, and their massive fan club would be referred to as such. Mm-hmm. Massive fan club. The early 80s was a bit of a destructive period, not just for the sisters, but for metal in general. That was like when metal's like, let's just fucking ruin everything. Mm -hmm. They were hired to perform at a lot of venues that were formerly discotheques, where they would destroy old memorabilia, do their iconic disco suck spiel. However, this actually got old for them really fast. They didn't want to be the band that was known for a gimmick. They wanted to be... A good band that people listened to because they liked their fucking music. Mm-hmm. One could argue it may have been the combination of awesome music and raucous live shows that made them the number one band for some of the biggest venues in the tri-state area. Ah. Because they were. The trifecta. The trifecta. New York State, New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut. Wait, this what? Whole area, just that whole area. Like, these, like, three states, like, all throughout the city, they were a fucking hit. Like oh, that everyone. tri-state. <laughs> Our tri-state. Our tri-state? Well, I mean, I don't know. We're in New York. We're part of that tri-state. New York, oh, New no. Jersey. So, where I grew up, the tri-state area was New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Interesting. That was the tri-state area for me. Huh. Because I don't count Massachusetts in anything. <laughs> Why send, should you? <laughs> I send, we send love and regards to all of our Massachusetts friends. Bless. Bless. <laughs> Genuinely, we do love you. Sorry we don't like your state. I mean. It knows what it did. I like the Palladium in Who Worcester. Who doesn't? Who 
doesn't like the Palladium in Worcester? Also, so many Palladiums. Every place has a Palladium. Yeah, but the Palladium- There's a Palladium in Los Angeles. There's a Palladium yeah. in New York City. There's a Palladium in Massachusetts. Does every state have a Palladium? They should. They must. But also, the Palladium in Worcester is a great metal venue. Just it is. putting it out there. I bet Twisted Sister played there. Probably. They like Palladiums. When the U.S. legal drinking age was changed to 21, a lot of places <laughs> began hurting for cash as their attendance went down as a result. But when they would realize, hey, they got to pay rent, they would bring in Twisted Sister to perform. Dedicated fans would always show up, and beyond that, you would always just get the curious, and they'd make a ton of money on it, because it was always a sure thing. Yeah. At this point, with no successful attempts at retaining a contract with a record company, they took it upon themselves to make Twisted Sister a thing. They put out their own music and created their own merch to provide to their fan club and beyond. Eventually, their singles that they had recorded a while back, um, well, I'm Not Growing Up Now and Under the Blade, mm-hmm. actually made their way over to the UK and caught the ears of Martin Hooker, president of Secret Records, an <gasps> indie label. Shh. Secret. Secrets. <laughs> there are two water cannons and no dress code for this no, label. No, 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 no dress code. After checking them out at a show, he decided he wanted to sign them and told them so after the show was over. The guys weren't phased in the slightest as at this point they figured something would fall through and they'd be back at square one. So they didn't bother getting excited. Oh, you want to sign us? Okay, sure. Yeah, basically Martin's like, I want to sign you. like, okay. And he's like, do you know what I just said to you? And they're like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Sure. Sounds cool. I (laughs) guess. Go ahead. But it actually worked out for them. And in 1982, they finally released their first album, Under the Blade. Yeah, because fucking UK knows what's up. They know what's up. After 10 years of busting ass for someone to give them a chance, they finally had it. Britain was really digging this debut, so much so that Twisted Sister landed a spot supporting Motorhead for some of their shows. I do remember talking about this, or at least reading about it when I did the Lemmy episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Lemmy would become not only a good friend of the band, yes. but a staunch supporter. Mm-hmm. Getting the crowds to accept this opening act, despite their feminine look. This didn't come without one more drastic lineup change, though. Tony left the band right before recording began. Side note, he would end up drumming for the Plasmatics. Oh, no shit. Yeah, shit. I feel like I, I remember doing that research. You probably did. That was three over that three years ago. That was a goddamn long time ago. But also, go listen to our Wendy O. Williams episode because bitch deserves your attention. She really does. Come back to this when you're done with Wendy. Yes. There was a bit more of some musical drummer stools before they finally ended up with A.J. Paro. A.J. was native to Staten Island, playing drums since high school, He started an all-boys Catholic school until they tried to force him to cut his hair. (laughs) Isn't that always how it goes? always how it goes. He ended up at a public school where he would hone in on on his skills and start off doing a lot of jazz drumming until he discovered Rush and Led Zeppelin and just went to metal because that's what you do. Yeah, that is a logical progression. Like, ooh, Russian Led Zeppelin, these are great. Fuck jazz. I'm just kidding. Jazz is wonderful, but also fuck jazz. (laughs) He was in and out of some local bands and was working as a taxi driver to make ends meet when he went to a Twisted Sister show and actually heard they needed a drummer. He joined up right in time to enjoy the fame that was awaiting them. 
And now the official Twisted Sister lineup was complete. Mm -hmm. They were a solid collective with label support and garnering attention, at least in the UK, from metal metal fans and critics alike. Many reviewers were claiming they were metal stars in the making. I mean, finally, they are on their way, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Mm. I feel like this episode should just be called Unfortunately. Unfortunately. (laughs) They couldn't account for total assholery. Oh. Right before they were to embark on their first big tour, they their label, Secret Records, <laughs> was left penniless after one of the partners wiped their bank accounts clean and ran off. Awesome. Right? Cool. Yeah. Leaving them ultimately bankrupt and unable to afford any kind of tour support for this brand new band. Wow. Yeah. So does Lemmy come in and like scoop them up and say, I will take care of you? No, children. I, he's like, I'll be around if you need me, but I, <laughs> well, I don't. Oh, God, I can't. Go. I gotta go. Sorry, sorry. Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades. <laughs> I'm really sorry, Lemmy. That was a terrible impression. I apologize. I, I, not far off, honestly. <laughs> enough was enough for these guys. Sitting on another disappointment in New York City. They decided they were going to do one more show on Thanksgiving weekend and call it. Oh, my God. I I would have been like, fuck this. I'm over it. Flipped I would have been like, nah, we're done. Flipped all the tables. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. But their manager, Mark Puma, implored them to scrape together just some cash monies, get over to England, and just give it one last go on a show called The Tube, which was just one of those, like, you know, Saturday night music shows a la... Uh, what's that one? The old gray tin whistle test. Whistle test. But then what's the other one that's like really big over there? Top of the Pops? Top of the Pops. Thank you. But not quite Top of the Pops. This is just like some Pops. (laughs) Just some Pops. Just some Pops. (laughs) The performance was almost a bust. The live audience wasn't really vibing with Twisted Sister. Again, mostly due to their appearance. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to put forth every bit of energy they could at this last ditch effort. They were being televised and there were important people in the audience, like Atlantic UK producer Phil Carson. Dee's charisma alone got about half the room on board, but wouldn't be satisfied until he had everyone hanging on to his every word. They pulled all the stops. Firstly, by bringing Lemmy on stage to play guitar with them. Because at this point, Motorhead's fucking big. Yeah. People love Lemmy, love Motorhead. Mm -hmm. So they're here for that. And when that still wasn't enough, Dee finally conceded to the audience. You know what? Fine. If this makeup is too much for you, I'll take it out. Then will you rock out? Was that good enough for you? Mm -hmm. Come on. (laughs) So he just grabs this towel and he's wiping his face clean. He's like, yeah, all right. You know what? We'll meet halfway. We'll do this. Fuck you. And then, like, he just takes it all off. He starts singing. And after that, the whole room goes nuts. What? I think it's just, I don't know. That is so weird. Also, people are, like, really weird about things. Because, you know, the music changed a lot after he took the makeup off. I guess. But, like, you know what? It worked. It worked. Phil was so impressed, he decided to sign them to Atlantic Records, <laughs> despite the fact that Atlantic exec Doug Morris forbade anyone to let that band anywhere near their label. Why? 
Why? Because he hated them. Why? Thought they were clowns. Oh my fucking god! Because people are fucking bigots and close-minded, and the my music industry is run by old, boring assholes. white men. My fucking gourd. What? What? What do they have to do to prove it? I would say take off the makeup, but that's not fair. No, it's not. Because wow. apparently that's what they've had to do every time to prove to somebody, fine, I'll take off the makeup, fine, I'll take off the makeup. But that also goes to show, like, why? But, like, Kiss didn't have to take off their makeup. Right? Alice Cooper didn't have to take off his makeup. So why does Swisted Sister have to do it? Swisted Sister. <laughs> that's the Swiss cover band. <laughs> that's adorable, <laughs> and it really makes me want cheese. And chocolate. Oh, yeah. So he tells Phil, fine. You deal with them. I don't want to know anything about it. And now they had a legit and stable mainstream record contract. Praise Jess. <laughs> the main downfall, though, was that Atlantic offered them absolutely no support in the U.S. So even though they've technically made it, here they had to keep proving themselves. I am so fucking frustrated right now. I know. Can you imagine how they felt? They're like, fine. All right. I guess we have a record deal. I guess we will work ourselves into the ground for these scraps that you are giving us. That is totally cool. Yeah. Well, just wait until you see the fucking turn on this dime. Oh, God. So back to the UK, they went to record their sophomore effort. You can't stop rock and roll. You can't. That's that was my added. Oh, okay. I was like, really? No, that was just me. Was there an ellipses in there? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you can't stop ro- you can't stop rock and roll. Colon, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Again, they were a hit across the pond. They became a big part of festivals over there, playing alongside the likes of Meatloaf and ZZ Top, and they showed up on top of the pops. Oh. And they just got so big over there that when they were touring over here in the Midwest, people asked them where their British accents were. Wh- so they would show up in the Midwest and they're like, hmm, why don't you talk like with a British accent? You're from England, <laughs> right? And they're like, nah, we ain't from no, England. we're from fucking Long Island. We're from Long Island. Which might as well be England if you're in the Midwest, am I right? Honestly. What ultimately got the sisters notoriety stateside was a little TV channel called MTV. MTV. Of course, these guys clearly had fun on stage, so why not have fun making a music video off stage? When they released one for their titular track, You Can't Stop Rock and Roll, ellipses, you can't, (laughs) audiences loved it, and soon everyone was clamoring for more. It just so happened that Atlantic's parent company, Warner Brothers, had a financial stake in MTV, so after seeing Twisted Sister's success on the music video channel, Doug Morris saw the value in this metal band that he abhorred. I have so many thoughts, and all of them are very angry. I think most of them are just fire, right? Fire. It's just pictures of fire. I am I am currently Elmo <laughs> with flames all around me. Screaming into the abyss. Screaming. One day, he tells the band, oh, hey, like, it looks like you did real good touring without any of our support, so we're totally going to help you out now and make you the biggest thing in music. Oh, hey, we wanted nothing to do with you because we thought you were disgusting, but then this other person, like, 
did some work and like signed you. And now we see that you are going to make us some money. So come on. And there's also like a gross little like human centipede chain of just like Mm -hmm. Atlantic makes them makes them popular on MTV. MTV makes money for Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. That still benefits Atlantic because they're underneath Warner Brothers. It's disgusting. It's a capitalist circle jerk. It yeah. And and the grossest white men. And I I assume Twisted Sister's gonna be eating the cracker. No. Yeah. While that sounds like good news, I think us seasoned in the stories of the music world also understand that usually means the label's going to completely take over your shit and meddle in every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the sisters reaching these heights of fame that they've never experienced before, they rolled with it for an opportunity to gain more fans. Mm-hmm. All right. How long have I been talking? An hour? About an hour. Okay. Well, now we've reached the pinnacle of Twisted Sisters fame. Oh, here it is. <laughs> we are only in 1984 with the release of their album, Stay Hungry, mm-hmm. with hit songs such as We're Not Gonna Take It and I Wanna Rock. Rock. Thank you. But not Come On, Feel the Noise, because that is Quiet Riot. That is Quiet Riot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Is it Quiet Riot or is it Queen's Riot? No, it's Quiet Riot. It's Quiet Riot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I get them kind of confused. Come Does for Quiet me. Riot also do bang your head? Man, I have a drive you mad. I don't know. I, I don't care. Do. You know what? I think they do. I also don't care. I know. <laughs> so we're not going to take it peaked at number 21 in the Billboard charts, but mostly everyone remembers Wait, it. We're not going to take it only peaked at number 21? Right. What? But also that's huge for metal back in the 80s. I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm not going to air them out here. Continue. Now is not the time. Now is not the time. We are already an hour in. We clearly don't have the time. (laughs) Please continue. Well, I mean, everybody pretty much remembers the song for its iconic music video featuring the band torturing this kid's D-bag rad dad for being a jerk in the most Looney Tunes-esque fashion of violent punishment. Literally Looney Tunes. They like it's, blew yeah. him through a wall that was like in the shape of himself. Yeah, it's just stupid yeah. fun. And everyone fucking loved it. Except. Well, can you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm stealing my thunder. I just love the fucking PMRC story. It's so bullshit. We're just about okay. there. We're, okay. we're, okay. we're peaking. I'll, I'll hold it. Hold it in. We're almost at this rest stop, okay? Just keep <laughs> holding it. Only 19 more minutes. We're good. <laughs> it's 19 miles. It's fine. We're fine. But it's gone on to be an anthem for children and even teachers. It's also used by a lot of right-wingers in their elections. Sure is. Paul Ryan tried to use it, and he's like, no, no, no. Mm-mm. And Trump was using it for a minute in his original campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing, too. D and Trump were kind of friends because D Snyder did do um Celebrity Apprentice. Yes, he did. And pretty much anybody who did Celebrity Apprentice is like, you know, like, oh, Trump's not bad. But that was kind of before he became a politician. Yeah, quote, I think that was quote, I think that was even before he was doing the whole birther shit for Obama or maybe around the same time, I don't remember. But it was actually after a couple months when, you know, after Trump started saying things about Mexicans that aren't cool. Mm-hmm. He's like, actually, can you stop using yeah. that? We're not friends. Because that I don't agree with you. You might think we're friends, but we're, we're not, not friends. friends. I don't think they're friends anymore. Yeah, mm, yeah I think God, I over. hope not. 
I don't think most people. I don't think anyone's friends with Trump. No, and no. his wife isn't even friends with Trump. I think she's leaving him, isn't she? <laughs> Is she? I don't. You don't. Nope. Not for this podcast. But now I'm super interested. I'm, okay, keep going. I might have made that up. <laughs> A wishful thinking. My, I don't know. <laughs> Though while many uh, sick, sick motherfuckers, metalheads, and youths were still really into this music, middle-aged white women certainly weren't. Sure were not. Twisted Sister became one of the musical acts singled out in the PMRC's Filthy 15 only a year after they got some mainstream notoriety. Yep. Okay, we already did this. I'm not going through it again, but here's the Reader's Digest version, yes. if you would not mind assisting me. If you want further details, please go see a few weeks back. Yeah, like about a month month or so back. Ish. We did a whole episode on the PMRC. It was delightful. I reveled in it. It was fantastic. Go yes. listen. It's very good. But basically, Tipper Gore and a bunch of other, like... The Washington Wives. The Washington Wives. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, if that doesn't show you how problematic it is, and it, like, already, yeah. what? Yeah. They were all like, oh, my God, swears are bad, and, like, sex is bad. Oh, my God, Prince is talking about masturbating. I didn't do enough research before I let my 10-year-old listen to this. Oh, my God, like, Twisted Sister has a music video where, like, they, like, blow up a guy through a door, and it's definitely, In the most cartoonish like, way possible. But my kids can definitely watch Wile E. Coyote, and it's the same shit. Yeah. Anyway, they basically wanted to make it so people couldn't buy explicit music. They, they wanted to make it nearly impossible. They wanted to take the responsibility off of parents to have to vet the music that their children listen to, which is part of being a parent, mm-hmm. and put it on the record labels to have the responsibility of telling children and parents if what they are listening to is okay by right. putting a sticker on the front cover. Well, saying, that's ultimately what they ended up on. That is what they wanted to to ultimately do. I thought initially they were like wanted to hide it behind the um desks and stuff too. They like they went through a lot of iterations. Like, you know what? Go listen to our they episode. Never, yeah, they never really <laughs> had a clear vision of what they wanted. They were just like, "We're angry. Do something about it." And Washington <laughs> was like, "What do you want us to do?" And they were like, "I don't know." So, ultimately, there were three musicians who came to speak out on this, yes. which was John Denver, which is a surprise, mm-hmm. Frank Zappa, not a surprise, and then Dee Snyder, which is a bit of a surprise as well. Mm-hmm. And all of them spoke very thoughtfully and eloquently as to why they are were super opposed to anybody saying, like, if music is explicit or not. Yeah. And you guess know? what? Didn't work. It didn't work. It was disappointing that it didn't work. But also not surprising that it didn't work. And ultimately, D. Snyder came out looking super elegant. Elegant? Guess who's not elegant? <laughs> elegant. Nah. It's not me. Elegant. D. came out looking super eloquent, and yeah. he clearly knew what he was talking about. Oh, he put what's his face Rockefeller in his fucking place. Oh, he did. It was delightful. However, in defending his music to the government, Dee ended up outing himself as someone who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and identifies as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like a sensible thing to say at the time, right? Mm -hmm. But once it got out, it kind of hurt Twisted Sister's image. The face of this heavy, loud metal band was actually just a really nice dad, and nothing could look worse for them. I feel like if that happened now, everyone would probably come to his defense and be like, Of course. Nah. It's fucking cool that he's any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And he's still fucking kicking ass and telling people to go fuck off and whatever. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's why we appreciate him is because he has that, you know, duality right. to him. But back then, like, if you were if you were this metal guy or this hard rock guy, you had to keep up that image no matter fucking what. I mean, people also thought the WWF was real. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm. If that says anything. Yeah, man. Ultimately, yeah, it 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 uh, wasn't wasn't great for them, and it kind of actually contributed to losing some sales, losing some fans, which is upsetting. Especially like their original fans. Their original fans were feeling like you know here was this dirty glitter band that we used to follow around, and mm-hmm. we're sick motherfuckers, and now I found out like oh he's sober and like. A nice guy, you know, they're kind of goofy almost in these but music videos. So fucking angry, man. I know. Like, they never stopped being The angry. rage never died. The rage never faltered, whether he was sober or not. Which just goes to show how much people, at least back in those days, were more about the image and less about the actual message. Yeah. You have on this one hand, the PMRC who's trying to get rid of them by being like, oh, you're naughty and bad. And now you have... Metal fans are like, you're not naughty and bad enough. And it's like, what the fuck? They couldn't win no matter what they fucking did. They really couldn't. So it's not like they needed this added onto their plates. Because, like, once they finally got big, one of their stars kind of seemed to shine brighter than the others. Mm -hmm. Dee's bombastic personality, combined with the fact that he is the lead singer, made him the face of the band. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the band... Felt the sting of neglect by everyone, from fans to interviewers and beyond. That makes sense. I know his name. I don't know anybody else's name. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> That's why I, I'm I telling have, you their names. I I have heard of JJ French. Yes. Dee did absolutely nothing to quell these fires. He was finally showing everyone they were wrong. He was somebody. He was twisted fucking sister. Mm. To this day. He admits he is a narcissistic megalomaniac. Yeah. And the fame only makes it worse. Okay. Like, I think he is, he could possibly be, like, diagnosably narcissistic. But he also says there's a level of, you kind of need to be like that if you're going to be a lead singer. I get that. But also, that makes sense because he definitely does put himself in all of his movies. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. (laughs) They continued on with touring and releasing music. Their fourth album, Come Out and Play, came out in 1985. At this point, a mix of uncertainty of where to go with their sound and pressure from their label, Twisted Sister attempted to walk the line of pop and rock and really struggled with it, Yeah, surprisingly. The album peaked at number 53 in the U.S. charts and did eventually hit gold, but very much paled in comparison with their previous record. Yeah. The supporting tour was a hot mess as the cracks within the band began to fall apart. That's upsetting. Yeah. See, the band was selling more and more. There's a noticeable difference in finances. So D (sighs) is the primary songwriter, so he's taking majority of the spoils. Okay. The others would finally be able to, like, get an apartment, but then he's here buying a house. And then they're finally getting houses, and he's getting a big-ass mansion. And they're kind of like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. But he didn't feel he owed anything to his bandmates because he felt he earned everything for himself. 
I mean, I get that. It's a weird, it's a really weird thing. And I get it where it's like, of course, like the person who puts in the work for the songwriting. But I think D was taking it to a level of almost, I don't know, like cruelty, not cruelty, but just like cold bloodedness. It's like, I mean, if I were part of a band, even if I were the primary songwriter and got a majority of the royalties, I would be like, oh, shit, I'm way ahead of everybody in life, period. Right. I have, I bought all these cars, I bought this mansion, and these guys are, like, barely affording a two-bedroom apartment. Right. I would feel like a fucking asshole. Right. If I look back at them and I was like, oh, they are, like, way behind me, I would be like, wait a second, we need to reallocate something here because... Yeah, I'm doing a majority of the work, but I don't need this much of a discretion in yeah. pay. That seems outrageous. Right. D should have looked at that and been and that's, like, mm. that's kind of what I'm saying, too. I'm like, I get getting more of the money, but like if but they're that not, much more. Yeah. If your bandmates are still not living the life of a rock star. You got to like reassess your shit. If they're living the life of a New York State civil servant. <laughs> That's not right. No, that's not right at all. <laughs> so, but if that wasn't enough, D's ego had gotten to a point where he felt like he didn't even need the band anymore. Oh, don't you? And like, it's just so disappointing to read all this because it's just like, dude, you were one of the last people to join this band. And yes, this of technically course, isn't even your band. Right. And yes, of course, like you you are a major factor in why they are so big. You know, your personality and your charisma is very key. But you also need to understand, like, if this band didn't exist, you would have nowhere to show this off. Yeah. You it's would still be playing a club at the Stone Fucking Pony in Long Island. With Peacock. With Peacock. <laughs> so don't give me your shit, D. Yeah. D-cock. <laughs> He actually would insult their playing and say their abilities weren't up to snuff. And after a while, some of the guys had enough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So AJ left in 86 after they finally finished their tour. They replaced him with Joey Seven Franco. The Seven was because he was their seventh drummer. His nickname was Seven. I don't think that's a good nickname. It's not. It's not a good sign. (laughs) JJ was nearly fired from the band by D as they continued to fight over the direction of the band. So D has control over who gets hired and fired? From the guy who started the band. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think that plays out the way you think it does, yeah. D. But, but you know what? JJ didn't even care at this point. They had been performing for years, and quite frankly, he was tired. By the time recording for their next album, Love is for Suckers, was underway... It was mostly taken over by session musicians. Wow. Like Reb Bach and Kip Winger of soon-to-be-formed Winger. Yeah. Yeah. Winger. I mean, of course, (laughs) D was on the entire album, Uh too. But yeah, the rest of the band, the only reason it was released as a Twisted Sister album was because Atlantic basically refused to release it otherwise. (laughs) That's hilarious. They're like, no, you owe us a Twisted Sister album. And they're like, fine, fuck it. Put Twisted Sister's name on it. It was really more of a D. Snyder album. Yeah. This album performed horribly. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. I honestly didn't know that they had this many albums. I know. 
The ticket sales for the supporting tour were downright tragic. Only halfway through, they threw in the towel and making all the sense in the world, considering they weren't even really talking to each other. Yeah. Dee eventually just sent in a letter like saying, yeah, I'm I'm quitting. And like <laughs> JJ and Mark are like, fucking serious you're sending a letter whatever like fuck it we're done <laughs> it's like sending a text hey so i quit the band <laughs> bye <laughs> the band had spent about a decade fighting everyone to get to the top they didn't now care they if- were fighting each other i know i'm sorry okay keep going i interrupted you i'm sorry <laughs> thanks i'm just enraged thanks right behind now. the music narrator <laughs> Now they only could fight each other. <laughs> Look, they didn't care if their image put people off. They weren't going to stop being the outrageous performers they were. But then they got famous. And there really wasn't as much to prove to anyone anymore. Their music videos turned cliche. And they continued to use the fight authority trope. But it actually kind of made them kind of funny and goofy. Yeah. They were seen more as a gimmicky joke band. Yeah. The band was tired. It stopped being fun, especially since D became the control freak in charge. No one could bring this guy back down to earth, even Suzette, the love of his life. And so this tight-knit band of brothers, louder than any band around, just died out without a whimper. That's sad. For the next decade or so, all the, all the band members went to try their hands at music with other acts. Mark was in a band called Blackfoot. Eddie was in one called Scarecrow. These names. <laughs> Blackfoot, Scarecrow. Dee attempted to start his own bands like Widowmaker and Desperado. I love these one word band names. These are great. I know. JJ would eventually start up his own businesses like French Management, where he would end up producing Seven Dust's debut album. <gasps> I loved Seven Dust when I was in high school. I bet you did. Oh my God. I, I very vividly. Remember yeah. the Seven Dust show that I went to in Poughkeepsie. 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 Well, you can thank JJ for that. Yeah, I, I will. Thank you, JJ. That was a lovely concert. Yeah, I actually forgot how good Seven Dust was. They were really fucking I thought good. I didn't like them. No. And then I like, listened to a little music. Like, oh, wait. Seven Dust they was good. They are one of the few like new metal era bands that actually hold up because yeah. they're more metal than new they really are there's yeah. not a lot of new in the new metal there's not a lot of nu with an umlaut in that metal correct but for the most part they ended up in nine to five swing of things mark ended up working in communications for the state police aj ended up working in an audio shop called clone audio on staten island okay so they're kind of going back to their old ways yeah like fine i'll just do a nine reintegrating to five. into regular society D was still a bit out of hand. <laughs> I love that description. Just a bit out of hand. He's just a bit out of hand. He's a little <laughs> bit much. Like D Snyder is a little much. Yeah. He's extra. <laughs> so extra. Very major. <laughs> With the death of hair metal and the rise of grunge, money dried out like a well, but it didn't stop him from spending. In the early 90s, he filed for bankruptcy oh, no. and would have to take a job answering phones and would have to ride a bike to work because he didn't have a car. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Making my own TikTok. Here. Thank you. 
I really liked that. That was nice. <laughs> Just scenes of him answering phones, riding a bike. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, and I mean, he just went from having a mansion while his bandmates barely had a house. And now he's like, I can. He's like, I fucked up. He's like, I fucked up. I can't even afford like a piece of candy for my kids. He was Job blue thing all over the place. I have made a huge mistake. (laughs) He truly hit rock bottom. And so in order to save himself and his relationships, he actually went to therapy. Good. His, His marriage was like about to fucking. He should have done that before his band went. They all said they should have done that. Yeah. In retrospect, they're like, yeah, we didn't know how to fucking talk to each other. We but just- also, therapy was not a okay thing to do right. for Even anybody. Right. the fact that he went to therapy in the 90s is impressive. Yeah. He built himself back up and began to write music again. Notably, a very cheesy Christmas song called... The Magic of Christmas Day. Oh. Which a producer loved so much, he gave it to Celine Dion for her Christmas album. Yep. And there's a part where Dee is talking about it um, on the behind the music. Yep. And he's like, does she know who wrote it? Mm-mm. And they're like, no. And he's like, don't fucking keep tell her. it that way. I don't need her knowing that I wrote yeah. her Christmas song. <laughs> which I love that. I thought that was really cute. I'm sure she knows now, but... Yeah, eventually they told her and she was like, no fucking way! Oh, oh my. <laughs> I am Celine Dion. <laughs> D. Snyder wrote this song. And I sing it for Christmas. <laughs> That's my Celine Dion. I'm not apologizing for that one. That was very good. He extended his writing skills from music to movies with the 1998 film Strangeland. Yep. I can only imagine this was an attempt to cleanse himself from the joy of Christmas. <laughs> Because it's not joyful in any way, shape, or form. It is a fucked up movie. He also stars in it. And, like, I haven't seen it. I watched a trailer. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look great. But I still kind of want to really see it. uh, Soundtrack seems pretty decent. From what I understand, it's kind of a cult classic at this point. Mm. Like, it was not... It was barely even watched when it was released. Oh, yeah. I never heard of it till I did the research. And I remember hearing about it a lot, like, through high school, college, whatever, and into my now 30s. But um, I think over the years, it's become, like, a cult classic in the sense that, like, everybody started watching it well after it came out and realized, oh, fuck. This is a really great movie. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Like, these days, people are actually saying very good things about it. But I think maybe it was a bit of he- ahead of its time. Okay. I don't know. I think watching it now will probably be like, this is dated as fuck. But also, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, shit. Now I really want to watch it. Maybe we should watch it after that. Wasn't he a serial killer in it? I something like that. I'm it looked like it. Yeah, I think he was a serial killer in it. It looked kind of like really... Saw-ish before Saw, but like, also kind of... not as like fucked as saw i i get the impression that it's very saw meets american psycho oh all right yeah that sounds fucked Mm. all right well now i'm interested yeah by the early aughts a lot of the bad blood and twisted sister seemed to simmer they had some mini reunions put out some compilation albums and of course the american favorite they did a behind the music of course so you know like they're they're doing like they are good enough to be around each other for like that obligatory press stuff Mm -hmm. they're fine now apparently and now that i have watched the vh1 behind the music 
They edited the episode in such a way that it seemed like Mark still really hated Dee. Now, what? their falling out was especially aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like, they got to points of near violence. The band was questioning whether or not they might get back together at this point. They're like, well, maybe we'll get back together. You know, we're doing okay. But then they saw the behind the music and like, ne- oh, never mind. No. I think we're still... VH1, you shady. I know, because they wanted the drams. Of course. They just wanted the drams. And so they were like, uh, maybe we can't. I don't know. It was one of those things where they saw it and thought, oh, we still have a lot of shit that we never worked on. And yeah. there is still some bad feelings between us. Now it's time to go to group therapy. Right. And get banana stickers. <laughs> With Dr. Twinkletits. There you go. But tragedy, actually. Is something that can bring together oh, no. the worst of enemies. Oh, what happened? Well, you know about this. On September 11th, 2001, when the towers fell, Dee received a surprising phone call from Mark, who was coordinating communications between law enforcement agencies at the state, local, and federal levels. Okay. So, like, he's kind of got, like, the inside scoop on what's going on. Gotcha. He tells Dee, like, yo, you got to go get your kids... He's telling him the severity of the situation and the fact that there were weaknesses in the American homeland defense system. He's like, look, I know because he's in Long Island. He's like, I know you're around. I know you're your kids. Like, I know you're in the middle of doing a radio show right now. But like, you need to you need to get your shit together. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't talked in years. Mm -hmm. And even before then, Mark wasn't the type to pick up a fucking phone and call somebody. Right. And this day threw out all the petty arguments and years of avoidance right out the window. They no longer cared about the past, and it helped to slowly mend the bridges between Dee, Mark, and everyone else in the band. Twisted Sister once again joined forces and took to the stage for the New York Steel. It was a benefit held in Manhattan for New York's Police and Fire Widows and Children Fund. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, what fucking else? Like, if you're all there together for that, all from that area, mm-hmm. it's like, that's a fucking time where you all look at each other and say... Look, we need to work our shit out. There's no reason why we can't Guys, be friends. Let's get the band back together. Guys, let's get the band back together. Get that glitter. It's time to get the glitter. <laughs> let's get the get glitter back together. Yeah, get the glitter back together. Get the band back to glitter. There you go. That's it. We did it. That should have been the name of the second documentary <laughs> that I mean, goes through the second half of Twisted Sisters Life. Get the band back to glitter. <laughs> there's something about that day that really changed everything i mean we know that mm-hmm. and i know as growing up around then people just needed things to kind of make them smile because we were not happy nobody was having a good time no. seeing twisted sister perform again did just that while the band was still discussing a comeback the public was crying for it so from there oh now you're crying for it mm-hmm. they Suck wanted dick you bitches i mean we I'm did sorry. just go through a national tragedy i'm gonna let it slide three two one <laughs> one two three <laughs> what the heck is bothering me hypocrites 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 hypocrisy that's the word <sighs> okay anyway yep so you everybody wanted twisted sister and they, sister's like sure they want that d they want that glitter d got it they wanted it and they're like we're gonna give it to you but they refused to be anything other than themselves. Because now they was like, now you're messing with son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
they're not gonna go and write new music aside from they did do a christmas album kind of and it was really funny because they did oh come all you faithful in the tune of um we're not gonna take it however we're not gonna take it the the song was inspired by Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Oh Come oh, All Ye Faithful. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I see the correlation. It's there. They got the old cheesy costumes and the makeup back for a time. They would actually eventually drop it for good because they got to an age where like, I don't really want to put on makeup anymore. And the heels totally are really hurting my hips. <laughs> I got the sciatica. I know, they I got the sciatica. Oh, my God. I can't I can't do the heels anymore. I need... Seriously. I need that nature breeze in soul. <laughs> I need that nature breeze in soul. Yeah. For about 15 years, they would tour, and they would reissue their music. They re-recorded Stay Hungry and decided to call it Still Hungry. And this time around, when Stay Hungry came out back in the 80s, it was de-featured on the front with like the bone, and that was actually a <laughs> bone of contention for the band, <laughs> oh. because they were like, why is just D on the cover? So in this time around, when they put out why Still Hungry, it's everybody, Yeah, and they're they're doing it right this time. Yeah. They're just having fun. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they make appearances in TV and film, they'll let commercials use their songs, and they just overall put on amazing performances for everybody to see. They were like, no, you know what? We're doing it right this time. We're just going to have a good time. Good. And everybody else did too. It was great. Something that may have contributed to their eventual retirement was the untimely passing of AJ. In March 2015, at the age of 55, he pa- he passed away of a heart attack while on tour with his other band, Adrenaline Mob. Like, oh. he had a heart attack while he was sleeping. He was in Adrenaline Mob? Yeah. Holy shit. Why he did, did drums. I did not know that. Well, now you know another name. AJ well, Paro. Well, shit. There you go. Soon after, Twisted Sister declared in 2016 that they would have their final tour called 40 and Fuck It. <laughs> Yeah, like, we're 40 done. and fuck it. 40 and fuck it. Is Adren- that 40 years I was trying together? to figure it out. I wonder if, I don't know if it's 40 years or is it 40 performances? I, I, think I don't know. I think they've performed far more than 40 shows in their entire life. Well, I just meant, oh no, it must have been for 40 because they, oh, I, yep, nope, okay. 40 years, yeah. That's how math works. If they started around in the 70s, yeah. 40 years. Wow, wow, I definitely fucked up that math, by the way. I was like, we it always be do. 40 years because that wasn't 40 years. And now that you say that, I'm like, oh, no, it oh, is. that is how 40 works. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Adrenaline Mob band member Mike Portnoy took over for <gasps> AJ on drums. Mark, or is it Mike Point? Did I say Mark? Mike Port. Oh, my God. Mike Portnoy. Mike Portnoy, who was the original drummer and original member of Dream Theater. Yeah. Blah. You did it. I did it. <laughs> With only minimal tongue twisters. Uh, we had a lot of bourbon. Holy shit. But yeah, no. So he actually took over for AJ on drums on that for them. He wasn't doing anything else. Well, I think he went back to Adrenaline Mob, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, on November 12th, 2016, they performed their last concert in Monterey, Mexico. And with that, an epic band with an epic story were able to end things the way they wanted. Mm-hmm. To go out as strong as they came in and attain the status of legendary metal band. Good for them. And that's the story of Twisted Sister. Oh, 
And D. Snyder is coming out with a new movie soon. Oh, all right. Well, now now you've piqued my curiosity mm. with Mr. Snyder's movies. Indeed. Not Zack Snyder. D. Snyder. <laughs> Definitely not Zack Snyder. I can't sit through a four-hour Snyder cut. I'm sorry, guys. I just can't. I just don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not a Marvel or DC or whatever person. I can't. I can't. I don't care. I do care about Twisted Sister, though, so. Maybe D. Snyder should make, like, a family circus movie. <laughs> You could do a comic book movie. <laughs> It'll make it really dark Family and twisted. Circus. Yeah, but just make it really fucked up. There's just little footprints all over the set. They're all dressed as like real fucked up clowns. Yeah. <laughs> no, man, I got this. I got it. Uh, it's going to be so good. I can't wait. I I'm mean, gonna... now we just need to have a strange land watch party. Yes. I think that would be a good idea. If we like can find it. Yeah, I'm sure. I think Jeremy found it on the internet. Cool. We we can can do that. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this story. We hope that was enough glitter for you. Yeah. We can always throw you more glitter. You let us know. Just let us know. We'll we'll give you more glitter. Maybe you can find yourself some more glitter on our website, (laughs) rockcandypodcast.com. You can go find our social medias. We got glitter on Instagram, glitter on Twitter. Glitter, glitter, glitter. Glitter on the Facebooks. Glitter everywhere. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. Hey, you really want some glitter? Why don't you leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts? That's cool, too, though. That'd be nice. If you feel like it. But only positive reviews. Whatever. Do whatever you want to do. Say hi to your mother for me. Also, say hi to your mother for me. I like that glitter. (laughs) Give us some glitter for, for Mother's Day. Belated. Yeah. But also, you can give us some money if you want to do that. Money, you please. Like you you can, can go on patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast and give us some money every month. Just a few schmeckles. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to do. And in return, we will give you a monthly bonus episode, maybe even more than monthly. Yeah. In fact, we just released a bonus Patreon episode. <laughs> I guess. Bonus. You know, the nice thing thing about Patreon is we can kind of do what we want. As long as we make sure, like, we do our annual monthly, hey, here's the news of the month. This is fucked. Yeah. But then, like, other (laughs) times. Hey, listen to us bitch for 45 minutes. Pretty much. We're very drunk. Yeah. But then also, we just did an episode, a little mini-sode on misheard lyrics. Songs that we have typically misheard. Yeah. And just laughed a lot. And it's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. So you can do that on Patreon, and maybe we will also give you some swag. No, well, we will, we'll probably give you some swag. Probably. Swag's happening. If you, get, if you give us your address, we'll send you some fucking swag. Yeah. Who doesn't want swag? I don't know. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> uh, some people just like the feeling of giving money. I guess. I don't know what that's like. Same. <laughs> Well, next week we'll come in with another Metal Mayhem story. Mm-hmm. I think a lesser known Metal Mayhem story. To a certain number of people, yes. To me. To you. Yeah. And uh-huh. to me, honestly, this is all new research for me, but it will be it'll be interesting. Yeah. I like it. It's cool, cool. It'll be a deep cut. Deep cut tomorrow. Or not tomorrow. <laughs> deep cut next week. You're like, I ain't got shit for tomorrow. <laughs> Definitely not tomorrow. Oh, I know that feeling. Well, anyway, come in next week if you want some more metal stories. Maybe even some glitter. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not so much. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's okay though. Just come over next week. We'll a see. A lot you of then. goth shit, I guess. Ooh, Whatever. Goth shit. Yeah, goth shit. Fuck Why yeah. not? Okay. All right. Well, until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. You son of a bitch. You took all my glitter. <laughs> you son of a bitch. No, seriously. I, where's my glitter? <laughs>